Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. It is your second BFF of the week, Buckeye Football Futures. I'm Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com along with Stephen Means. But we're really talking about the present. We're talking about things that have happened this week. In fact, things that have happened just in the past 48 hours even though it deals with the future of Ohio State football. It's what's right on our plate this week, things we've already been reporting on, things that are already up at cleveland.com slash OSU, and things that Stephen has already texted you at 614-350-3315. Well, actually, he'd be texting it to your number. But if you want to sign up for the text, that's the number you need, is the way I should say that. Right, Stephen? I mean, you know, technically, yeah. It's coming from that number, correct. But, yeah, for all sense and purposes. All I'm saying is if you haven't signed up yet, text to that yeah. number. You can sign up for a two-week free trial, um, and you'll get those updates that Steven is sending you from the Woody as he's out there watching the day camps that Ohio State's had the last two days. We're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. Before we get into what he saw and who he talked to and, and all those things from a recruiting standpoint, we want to talk about a couple of things that have happened in the last two days as far as players committing to Ohio State. The first one was kind of teased to when we did Tuesday's BFF. In fact, it was just, I think, a couple hours later that Mm -hmm. then this actually came to fruition. But Caleb Brown, receiver from St. Rita High School in Chicago, commits to Ohio State. He is the 13th commitment in the 2022 class. He is the third receiver in the 2022 class, and I assume probably the final receiver. We'll get to that in a minute. But, again, give us a quick assessment, Stephen, of who Caleb Brown is, what you've noticed from him from watching him in various ways and what he's all about. Yeah. Caleb Brown, the, in the newly updated composite rankings, which there's no loud information. That's why there's no, not been a text about it, but the number 60 player in the country and the number five wide receiver and the second best player in Illinois in the 2022 recruiting class out of St. Rita high school, which is a pretty prominent high school in Chicago from a football standpoint. And yeah, like you said, this is wide receiver number three. He's 5'11", 177. And everything about his profile screams, oh no, are we headed down another Mookie Cooper, Jalen Gill, Demario McCall path? Because if you look at his film from his first two years of varsity football, it is a lot of back. 
And a lot of that is just he's been the best athlete on his team, and you want to find the easiest and quickest way to get him the ball. So he hasn't played a lot of wide receiver, but that's not the idea. It's for him to be an H-back when he gets to Ohio State. He's going to be a full-breaded wide receiver. His coaches told me that they're going to – they plan to use him as that, a guy in the slot and a guy on the outside. So he's under the same umbrella as Garrett Wilson, Caleb Burton, uh, Jackson Smith, Nick Jigba, and Mecca Buka, guys who can play in the slot, but you can also move them outside if you really wanted, want to and go to 12 personnel stuff, or even if you want to keep three receivers on the field. He's a guy who can play on the inside and the outside. So, th- no, we're not headed down the Mookie Cooper route. You just said it, that this is probably the final receiver in the class. But with that being said, I won't be shocked if they go for a fourth. I don't think the fourth is going to be a top 100 guy. But I, do, I won't be shocked if they add a fourth guy because a lot of these wide receivers understand what's happening here. The idea that not everyone's going to work out, right? There's going to be attrition when you recruit, recruit at this level. Mookie Cooper's going to leave. Jamison Williams is going to leave. That's going to happen. G. Scott's going to become a tight end. Things are going to happen. And so the way a lot of these guys have been explaining it is I looked at it made me think about that 2020 class and how that ended up working. You got four top 100 guys. And the cream rose to the top. And that's been Jackson Smith and Jigba and, J- and Julian Fleming at that point, the two five stars. And the two others have had t- completely different paths. So what does that mean for 2021 when you look at Jaden Ballard and Mekke Buk and Marvin Harrison Jr.? All three of those guys can't work out, right? But you're taking the chances that if you just bring in as much talent as possible, hopefully two of those guys work out. And maybe that's what we're seeing here in 2022 is where you're bringing in Caleb Burden, Keon Grays, Caleb Brown, and maybe another guy. I was joking with Keon um, earlier this morning before I left for camp about the fact that he's surrounded by Caleb's now. He's fully aware of it. It's a pretty funny conversation. But the idea that – and he agreed with this. It's Listen, it's everybody's path is different, but then also – it's it's this is creating competition and all they all understand that not all this is going to work out but the best guys will work out here and so as it's safe to say that this is probably the third and final wide receiver but at the same time as we creep closer to signing day I'm not going to be completely caught off guard if they add a fourth but him committing basically why he came here for a one-day official visit was not shocking at all so I wrote a piece for today kind of echoing what you just said or I guess I wrote it last night after the commitment happened Tuesday night, basically saying like, yeah, okay. Laying out that recent history, but here's why this guy might be different because he has these skills. He, he has been evaluated as having receiver skills. He has, and then I, I found reports uh, from the Chicago area papers of him talking about wanting to be more of a receiver, you know, working a lot at receiver, wanting to play more receiver in the spring because their, their season, the, the Indian, the Illinois high school season got moved to the spring. So, do you know how much he actually got to play receiver this spring? Because it looked like he was still playing a lot of tailback this spring. And at what point, at what point does he either have to move there, or even if he doesn't move there in high school, it, it would seem to at least affect how quickly he could probably really play that position at the Big Ten level, or at least at the level that Ohio State would expect in a room like this. Yeah, obviously because of a pandemic, things got skewy. And so it looks a little weird, the fact that this past spring he was still playing more running back than wide receiver. But that's the senior year plan, and that's always been the plan, is that his senior year he's going to be a wide receiver, and that's going to be his focus. And you see that with a lot of guys who are top 100 recruits. I remember with Jack Sawyer, he was playing quarterback at one point. Had he played his senior year of high school football, it would have been strictly defensive end. He wasn't going to focus anywhere else because when you're early enrolling, you, you're right. You have to kind of play catch up and get ready as much as possible to get to the college level. So the senior year, which 
it's as crazy as it sounds, that season's coming up pretty quickly here for Caleb Brown. It's gonna be strictly wide receiver. Now, if he, I'm not like if you see a snap of him playing running back, I, yeah, he's the best player on his team. But 95 percent of his snaps this upcoming season are gonna be out receiver, and that's what matters most because that's what he's trying to prepare for. But also. Whether it's three or four guys, I don't think that when we're doing our market down when market down Mondays next offseason of true freshmen that we think might be make an impact. I don't think he would be the receiver we pick. He might be the Jaden Ballard of that group, where it just he might need a year of development before he's ready to actually produce. While we're looking at Caleb Burton and Keon Gray's as two guys who normal situations get spring football might be a little bit more ready to contribute right away. Why do you think there could be a fourth receiver in 2022? I know you've already said that that's what, you know, the players understand how that is working out. And as you also astutely pointed out, there's already been attrition in that room with, you know, three guys. If you include um, G. Scott moving to tight end, that's three receivers that they've lost there since the end of last season, basically. So is that it, that just the numbers have, have changed to where getting four kind of keeps them at the level that they want. Is there just a fourth guy that you think that they really want in this class that might be too good to pass up? Just because, as we've talked about before, we don't know exactly what the numbers are going to be uh, scholarship-wise for mm-hmm. the 2022 class. And with them making uh, getting commitment from a kicker, which we'll talk about here in a minute, for the immediate um, roster that would also carry over to next year, that takes away potentially one of those scholarships that could have gone to 2022. I think it's a little bit of all of those things. I think Jamison Williams has transferred through some things off from a number standpoint of what they want in that room, which that happens. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if they were that. I think you were expecting attrition, but I don't think anybody was expecting that attrition to be Jamison Williams at first glance before you really sit down and think about why that actually made sense that he was the guy to leave. And so I think that threw some things off, but then also as Mark Pantone kind of mentioned, you want to leave some spots because there's a lot of kids who have not been evaluated yet. And between and within all these camps that are going on this June, you might just find somebody that you really like. And you're not going to cap off and say, no, we're not going to take this guy that we really, really like. We're doing, there were guys today from the 2022 class who were doing one-on-one work- workouts who were getting pulled aside. And you don't want to say, no, we're not going to take that guy because we've already got our three wide receivers and we want to cut it off there. No. So it's, it's, it's a situation of you're leaving your mind open to the idea that somebody might pop this summer, but then also there are some guys like Kojo Antwi who will be taking official visits this summer who, if he's high on your list still and it's mutual, you'll take him. It was another offer that went out this week, um, a receiver out of Illinois originally now at ING named Carnell Tate. I only bring that up in relation to Cale Brown because they know each other. I think they know yep. each other pretty well. Do you think there's a connection there and that that timing's not coincidental? Yeah, yeah. He was on – we're recording this on a Wednesday. He was at camp on Tuesday for an unofficial visit. And, yeah, they're, they're, I mean, that's not – the timing isn't crazy. The fact that he's here on a Tuesday 24 hours after Caleb Brown – commits and yes they have a great relationship even though Carnell is down there at IMG yeah that's a top 100 guy in the 2023 class and one of the guys they would love to have as one of their two or three guys in that class and he looks the part he looks like since we're on this subject he looks like what Marvin Harrison looked like in high school long frame 6'2 185 pounds with plenty of room to put some more weight on to where when he gets here, it's like, man, that guy looks like a lot. He looks a lot more like a college football receiver than he did in high school. But, yeah, that's a guy to keep an eye on in the 2023 class. And having that relationship with Caleb Brown helps. 
mentioned this already in passing, but there was another commitment today. This one through the transfer portal. So it's not what we usually talk about on the recruiting podcast, but I think it does come into play uh, just because of that scholarship load for 2022 and, and that dynamic as it plays out. Uh, Noah Ruggles used to be the starting kicker at North Carolina, lost his job going into last year, transfers out as a grad transfer. He tweeted out today that he had accepted a scholarship from Ohio State. So Ohio State will be committing two scholarships to place kickers next year. In addition to the punter, um, it'll be Jake Seibert and now Noah Ruggles. And a guy who was okay at North Carolina, um, 16 of 18 from inside 40, but only three of nine from 40 or more, 0 for three beyond 50, was not the guy that they were using on kickoffs. They used three other guys on kickoffs that year. So a guy that I think helps maybe give them some depth, but and it may end up being the starter. It may end up being pretty good, but it's not like they went out and I feel like got uh, some kind of amazing guy to come in and it's just going to blow the doors off the place. Maybe he will, maybe he's gotten better, but let's not forget he did lose his job to an FCS guy just a year ago. But the reason I bring it up here mostly is like, what do you think this means that Ohio State is committing these resources to special teams like this, to specialists, to kickers? Um, they'll have two on scholarship. I, if you go back to last year in the Penn State game or coming out of the Penn State game, even from the post-game uh, comments that Ryan Day was making, he seemed very unsettled by what had happened to Blake Hobbill and then what was happening uh, in relation to that. You didn't, they didn't have Jake Seibert on the travel roster for that game, so it went to Dominic Damasio. Damasio, I always mispronounce Demacio. his name. But I, I think it's Damasio, but I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. So I uh, went to Dominic, and he missed a field goal in that game. And you basically had just – at that point, you were left with the scholarship guy in the walk-on, and um, I, I think they wanted a little bit more stability there, but it comes with a cost. Like, you only have 85 scholarships, and there's times where that seems like a lot, but then there's times where to be uh, giving three of those to specialists for now what will be the next two years, unless something changes, it seems like a lot. So I, I think – they, one thing, I think they just might be under so they can afford to do this in 2021. I think that just might be the case. They're under um, for 2021. Doesn't right. mean they'll be under for 2022. This is where I think it's interesting that they brought him in. And one thing I want to say before I say anything else, Jake Seibert was the number two kicker in the country in the 2020 class. So the expectation for what he should be is high, and that's how we should look at it. The only guy better than him was Joshua Cardi, who ended up going to Stanford. So there's, there's the reason to be excited. There was a reason to be excited about Jake Seibert when he committed there. With that being said, he made one field goal in 2020 when he was called upon. That was a 23-yarder. I think it was against Rutgers, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Made one in the no, national, championship national championship game. game. Yeah, yeah, that's where he made it. But he wasn't then he went, asked to kick a lot of field goals. He wasn't. And so that's fine. And so you just – that you it's a free year. He's gray-shirting whatever he did last year. He wasn't even supposed to be doing anyway because it was Blake Hobbill's job. What's more important is that he had a 40-yarder and a 45-yarder in the spring game, and he missed both. So in a year where you know you're going to be under, and maybe you're not all the way sure that Jake Seibert's your guy, you bring in another kicker. And right now they're both going to be on scholarship in 2021. I don't think they'll both be on scholarship in 2022. I don't even think they'll both be on the run. I think what we have going on here is you call it a depth. I'm going to call it insurance. That if you don't feel comfortable with Seibert, you've got an experienced guy and no struggles that you can throw out there and if you and by the end of this year one of those guys is going to end up winning the job and I don't think both of those guys will be here in a year yeah I mean I think for this fall 
it the way I wrote it, uh, that it just gives Ryan Day, I think, a little bit more peace of mind. That mm-hmm. If something happens to your first kicker or if they just go out there and has happened sometimes to specialists, if they just get the shanks or the whatever and they can't kick for a little while, you're not turning to a walk-on, all respect mm-hmm. to Dominic. You're not turning to only a walk-on now to go out and kick important field goals for your team that wants to be in the college football playoff. Now you have uh, either – this guy, Ruggles, coming in as an experienced guy, or you have Cyber, who, as you said, has a, a high ceiling, and who, you know, we got this question a, a while back from our texters, and I, I think I wrote it as part of maybe it might have been one of the Hey Buckeye talks. I can't remember, but the way I put it forward was that like I felt like there was concern about the kicking game, but not like um, it wasn't like a crisis. It wasn't like mm-hmm. catastrophe. I thought this, okay, yeah, this is something to watch. He missed two long ones in the spring game they weren't chip shots. They weren't even field goals that most college kickers make a majority of the time. But I think at Ohio state, your standards are higher. And I don't think what he had shown this far when, when they evaluated it and when they saw an option like this, come on to the horizon, that there was no reason not to, to take this shot. Now, again, it does come with a cost because you are locking up a scholarship the way it stands right now, unless someone were to leave after losing this competition as Ruggles himself has done after, you know, leaving North Carolina after he lost a year later, then you, you do have the two scholarships committed there, but that may, you may be right. That may be a temporary thing. And it may be by 2022 that settles itself out that, that works itself out by, by some other kind of attrition. But then that means you then have to go out and recruit another kicker for 2023 regardless of who it is that leaves uh, because you have not budgeted yet for that as it goes into that class. Yeah, I think that's the thing. I mean, knock on, you would want Jake Seibert to win this job, right? Because then he's – you're right. That pushes back the year that you have to do it. If Ruggles wins the job, then, yeah, in 2023, you got to go get a kicker. If Seibert wins the job, it's 2021, 2022, 2023, 2024. You don't have to get a kicker into the 2024 class because that's – he'll just be your kicker for the next four years. So well, he's, sh- he's, he's a redshirt freshman this year, so – yeah, you're right, I guess. Yeah, after yeah, he's got, 2024. He's, he could be here for right. another four years. Right. Yeah, you're right. So to that point is you got the insurance, but you hope you never have to. It's like having car insurance. It's just this thing you have that you hope you never get in an accident and actually have to use it, but you pay for it every year. And it may be the case that Cybert stays here beyond where Ruggles' tenure. But then mm-hmm. that means, again, that during the time they're both here, you're using three uh, scholarships across two specialists. I don't think that that is yeah. unheard of in college sports. And I actually think it makes sense to me. I've always thought that 85 scholarships is a lot <laughs> and that, you, you know, you're going, I mean, that, that allows you to go really, really, really deep as far as how many people are getting scholarships. And I think it's great that, you know, in, 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 in as much as I have criticized how uh, college sports spends its money at times, you are giving more opportunities to young people by having that many scholarships at all the FBS schools. So I understand that. But as far as like the idea that there's a great cost by having the extra kicker, as opposed to now you don't get to have that like 16th offensive lineman or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think it's a defensible thing, especially when you have uh, such a a kicker who is so young and you had this opportunity to add an older one, but we'll see because there, there is a give and take here. We're going to come back from the break. We're going to get into what Steven saw with his very own eyeballs over the last couple of days at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center at Ohio State's day camps. You're listening to Buckeye Talk.
We're back on Buckeye Talk. We are recording this on Wednesday evening because Stephen was at the Woody all day getting intel on players. He was there also Tuesday checking out the prospects who were in, working out with Ohio State coaches, working out for Ohio State coaches, milling about, doing their thing. I want to start off with Tuesday, a big international day. Before we talk about those guys individually, tell us, explain, I guess, exactly what this was. It was like a tour of foreign players coming through and this Ohio state was like one of their stops. Yeah. So it's called the PPI international and they, they do this every year when the world is normal where they take a bunch of kids who don't necessarily live in the States. They're more international kids, a lot of European kids and they bring them over here and they just tour the country going to different day camps. The, the PPI international group, they've been the Alabama, they've been to Clemson, they've been to Georgia, they were on their way to Texas after the Ohio State campus, and they just go all over the place, and it's a lot of really good football players, it's not like it's, you know, random kids, and they're just hoping for a scholarship, no, they're really good football players, and some of them typically come over and end up playing at some high school before they even get the chance to go on these camp visits and whatnot, but yeah, it's just an opportunity to get some of these international kids who aren't necessarily, you know, punters coming from that pro kick Australia academy out in Australia, and just getting them exposed to different places, and to get into some of these guys, I think the best, you know, example of maybe finding a hidden gem within a program like this is Hero Canoe. He's a defensive tackle right now. He's from Germany, but he's playing high school football in California, Santa Margarita Catholic and Rancho San, Santa Margarita, which is, I think, an awesome name for a city. Any more now. Santa Margarita is an awesome name for a city. He was a top 150 player when he started, when they started this tour. And the newly in the new composite rankings, he is now up to number 82 and number 13 among interior defensive linemen, which is a pretty big deal because I think he can shake up Ohio State's interior defensive lineman board, especially when you look at guys like Walter Nolan, who obviously is the number two player in the country, who is clearly not going to be a Buckeye at this point. And I know Kristen Miller and some other guys exist, but when you throw a wrinkle into in like this and he gets on campus Larry Johnson get get his hands on him after he's already been to some other places and he can go I've never learned pass rushing like this before this is like totally new and it's awesome I can't believe I'm learning from this guy this is amazing and he's just blown away by everything that he's learned now some of that's because he's a 16 year old on the campus but some of that is just this was very new to him and very and very much intrigued him he told he said that he was going to come out with a top eight or a top six in july and more than likely ohio state's going to be in it and they're going to be closer to one two three in that top eight top six and they are four five six seven eight in that top eight top eight or top six so that's the that's he throws a wrinkle in everything when we're talking about a class where you want to get interior linemen hero canoe is a guy to keep an keep an eye on if you're an ohio state fan and the other guy is obviously Theo Orstrom. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I want to talk about Hero Canoe some more. So he's, he's 6'5", 293. He projects, I assume, mm -hmm. as a tackle then, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this is a guy the Ohio State knew about, right? This wasn't like he just came through on this tour and they found out. Didn't he have an offer previously? He got an offer during the season and had some conversation with Larry Johnson, but nothing too extreme. A lot of the a lot of the steam has really picked up in the last couple of weeks now that it was for sure that he was going to get on campus and they got a chance to see him in person, which is why these camps are so in person. Now that you've got to see him and he's every bit of, you know, six four, six five, two hundred and ninety pounds, you know, you can further that relationship with that guy, especially when he's a little bit more of a late bloomer than other guys. What did you take away from watching him? You got to see him work out a little bit. Yeah, I I think he's going to keep rising. 
Uh, like I said, he's every bit of the, the physical frame that he's listed as. He's got a great get off. Um, his hands are great. He got a, he has everything that you want, and he can either play nose or he can play three tech for you, which is always a bonus when you have guys who can play either either position on the interior. This is a guy where I won't be surprised if he's a five star, not like top ten player in the country, but like in the twenty seven to thirty two range. I wouldn't be shocked by that as more teams and more evaluators get a chance to show you because he blew some guys away, and he was clearly. He didn't work out to, on Wednesday, obviously. He was just doing more of his tour stuff. But they made it a point that after they saw him work out and go through things on Tuesday, that, hey, you need to stick around another day so we can show you a, a few more things. But as he was going through drills on Tuesday, he was clearly one of the better guys here in what was a, a, a solid, solid week for defensive linemen. And I think you were about to talk about Theo Orstrom. Tell us about him and what he's about. He's from Sweden. And funny story about him, he – Grew up playing soccer, obviously being from Europe, and he was a goalie. And he has translated a lot of the things that it takes to be a goalie, you know, the ability to catch, being a bigger guy, being a bigger target, and has applied that to being a tight end. And the way he got into football is because he was watching Dude Perfect commercials with Odell Beckham and said, ooh, I want to do that. So now he does stuff like that. He was also here the last two days. Quality guy, great route runner, um, Jeremy Rockford-ish. And I'm not even from a talent standpoint, Jeremy Ruckert is who he was, but the idea that he's an elite pass catcher as a tight end and he opens up the, the playbook for Ryan Day if they really want to go down that road. And they, they know that and he knows that, which is why he spent a lot of time the last few days with Jeremy Rucker going through, hey, it's a, being, playing tight end is about more than just, you know, catching passes and being a, a mismatch for guys. There is going to be a lot of blocking involved and really developing as a full tight end. He loved it here as well and has been here the past few days. From Sweden, he still lives in Sweden. Um, he's not sure yet if the plan is for him to play high school football over here or not. But so right now, he is like a true na- international guy, while Canoe is an international guy who's already living here. Orstrom is still a true international guy, so it'll be interesting to see how they keep in contact with a guy like that and if he's able to get back over here. But, yeah, in the same umbrella, if if the tight end usage guys are going to be Jeremy Ruckert and Luke Farrell, if that's how we're going to think of it, he's more the Jeremy Ruckert than the Luke Farrell in this in the in this equation and i assume he doesn't have any rankings or anything right now like being he doesn't international, right? right now he doesn't have any rankings before he came here when they were down in alabama he did get an alabama offer he's also got an offer from florida state so i he'll probably start he's a 2023 guy as well so he'll also mm-hmm. you'll see those rankings start to come as some of these offers start to get thrown out there yeah, once, like, Alabama has offered you and Ohio State's interested, then it really doesn't matter what your ranking is yeah. to some extent. Like, that's, <laughs> yeah. we don't need somebody else's opinion to tell you that you might be pretty good at football. What is your understanding? Because, obviously, my my knowledge of the in and outs of the roster is, is, is a shorter tenure. Has Ohio State ever landed an international guy who wasn't a specialist? When I covered uh, Purdue, they had a kid who was a lineman, and I'm his name is escaping me, but I think he was from – Sweden maybe also and he ended up like getting an NFL like at least a training camp offer so you can get quality players from overseas do you know if Ohio State's had anybody like this recently I don't think no not recently that aren't specialists that are just like can just pop out of your head real quick maybe some walk-ons but not players that are scholarship skill players where you think they might have an impact on the field outside of Cameron Johnson who was also from Australia and then obviously Jesse Miracles here right now I don't it's not the norm for Ohio State to go overseas to, to find skill position guys, especially. 
Who else did you see you liked? You brought up uh, Richard Young to me, who is the number one running back in the 2023 class. Sound like he had an impressive day today at the Woody. Oh, yeah. He, uh, he's 16 years old, and he looks like he's ready to play college football. I think that's the best part about having these camps going back is now that you get to see these kids in person, it's not just a ranking anymore. You can, you know, in the name of stars don't matter in the situation. It's like you go in expecting a guy to look a certain way based off his ranking and how many stars he has. And when he doesn't match that, you're like, eh, maybe he's not all things are cracked up to be. And then it starts to come to fruition as you see rankings get updated time and time again. This guy is the number 19 player in the top running back in the 2023 class, and he's going to stay the top running back in the 2023 class. That's not going to change based off of what I saw today. He's six foot, 190 pounds. He looks bigger than 190 pounds, so I won't be surprised if he weighed in as bigger than that. He's physical. He's fast. He can make a lot of the same cuts. And Ohio State's got a really good chance of landing this kid simply because he fits their, their running style. The top of the way they use their running backs is the way he runs the ball. And so if he does end up being a Buckeye in 2023, first of all, that would be an interesting passing of the torch. If we go from Travion Henderson, the number one running back in the 2021 class. And then you also, I mean, we're talking about quarterback cycles, sort of a running back cycles every other year too, where you get the top guy in 2021 and then you get the top guy in 2023 and then we'll see what happens in 2025. But I think the way we're talking about Travion Henderson right now, where we think he might be a guy who can make an extreme impact from day one as a true freshman, wherever Richard Young goes, I think that's going to be the conversation that's going to follow him. And right now it's obviously hasn't updated his top list in a while, but Alabama, Ohio state and Georgia are probably the front runners, regardless of who else makes whatever list he decides to put out. He's out of Florida. Is that correct? Yes. Lehigh senior high school in Lehigh acres, Florida. So, I mean, and the one thing is, We've seen some Florida people come. Obviously, Trayon Webb was here yesterday, also from Jacksonville, Florida. Same high school as uh, Sean Wade, Tariq uh, Johnson, and Marcus Crowley. Something, uh, the thing about these workouts is a lot of these Florida guys aren't used to humidity at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And so, like, Trayon Webb was, like, done at, like, 4 or 5 you know, four, after four or five run-throughs, you could see he was already getting exhausted and was, like, kind of done with the workout. And one of the things that Florida kids will tell you is that they do a lot of their workouts in the morning before it start, the humidity starts to kick in down there so they don't have to worry about it. Well, up here, you don't have that option. It's always humid in Ohio, so they're getting gassed. Richard Young wasn't getting gassed. He was going full speed, and they were putting him through drills. I think there was at one point where – Kyle McCord stepped in to be his quarterback when they were going through some of the passing stuff because Tony Offer can't throw. And then they obviously threw some other quarterbacks in there as well who were actually, you know, recruits and stuff so they didn't waste Kyle McCord's arm. But, yeah, this guy, kid's got the full package. Anybody else that you saw that really caught your eye the last couple of days? Yeah, I, I think uh, Shamar Stewart, uh, uh, speaking of five-star that you get to see in person, he's 6'5", 260, the number seven player and the number three defensive end in, in, in the 2022 class. I um, mean, he's, he's, he's crystal ball to Miami, in which he'll probably – it'd be – I'd be shocked if a guy who he's also from Florida, by the way, if he comes this north of the Mason Dixie line. Um, I sometimes five stars look like five stars, and sometimes they don't. I don't. He didn't look as physically imposing as you were expecting to see with six five two sixty, but also Ohio State's got some other options there, like one who's coming next weekend that are probably a little bit higher on their board than he is, and then some quarterbacks who got some offers. Adrian uh, Posse is the first 
2024 quarterback to get an offer from Ohio State. He's 6'4", 205. He's a big kid. He's got a pretty good arm, too. He was throwing it today, and he looked pretty good. And he, 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 he walked in – when he walked in on, onto the uh, indoor facility from out in the locker room, where the locker rooms are, I was like, yeah, that's a quarterback right there. And then somebody goes, yeah, he's a sophomore. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, but, yeah, that's a guy to keep an eye on. Anytime you see a quarterback get an early offer, you should keep an eye on those type of guys because, obviously, coach, coaches like to lock in their quarterbacks early. And then in 2023, Dylan Lonergan got an offer, the number 41 player and the number four quarterback in that class. So chugging away at the recruiting for the 2023 quarterback while also starting whatever the path is for that 2024 quarterback, whether it's going to be – you know, the number one player in the country, or maybe it's the number seven quarterback in the country, or whichever one it is. Remind people for next week, anybody that you know that's coming next week for the day camps that uh, jumps out to you? Yeah, I think next week's going to be a big offensive line day, and it's going to – I'm going to just start with Luke Montgomery. He'll be here on – I think that's – no, that's a week from now. Next week will probably be a Brendan Vernon week, more defensive lineman week. That's the week where he comes. He worked with Larry Johnson. It'll be the first time he's gotten a chance to be around Larry Johnson since, I think, before his freshman year. So that's a guy to keep an eye on. And since I've already said Luke's name, he's coming the week after that on June 22nd. But, yeah, next week – they're kind of spreading out these Ohio guys who they would maybe want to be there. some of their early commits. They had Josh Padilla this week. They had Sonny Styles last week. And obviously, Brendan Byrne and Luke Montgomery are left, left on that list. One more break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about a big prospect to Ohio State talked to, or Stephen Means talked to this week, and what he had to say about Ohio State. You're listening to Buckeye Talk. We are back wrapping up BFFs on Buckeye Talk. We have talked about in the 2023 class, safety being a pretty huge priority for Ohio State. Uh, Xavier Nwankpa, the number 54 player in the country, number five safety, the number one player in Iowa. And actually that he's risen in the rankings. He was like number 72 back in March, and he's almost up 20 spots since then. So he's got some momentum towards like trying to get into that five-star conversation eventually. Uh, you talk to him in the last couple of days, or actually just earlier today, right on Wednesday, yeah. what did he have to say about Ohio state and where things stand? He loved his visit. He loved the vibe about it. It pretty much validated a lot of the feelings that he already had. It was good to get him around Matt Barnes and Kerry Combs. This was the first time they got to be face to face. And he had the same, you know, first experience with Kerry Combs that everybody has, but the man who drinks 45 cups of coffee a day, um, Matt Barnes. And obviously he thinks he's a great, you know, football mind for defensive backs. But I think the one thing that the biggest takeaway, and I wanted to ask him this more than anything else is how do you go about things when there's clear momentum, but you've waited so long to take these visits and you don't just want to jump at something because it's the first thing you saw and it's shiny and he's having to learn to practice patience. And so are the commits. I, I think everybody here is on board coaches, the commits and Xavier that listen, if you want this spot, it's yours. He, everybody knows that. But you can't just jump at it because you just saw it for, and then for the next 48 hours you're on a high. So he's going to take his other visits. Those visits are to Texas A&M this weekend and then Notre Dame on June 18th, and then he's going to make a decision. Now, am I going to bet my fake money that that decision is going to be a, for Ohio State? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and go ahead and put my, put my stamp on that and think he's going to be a Buckeye. But with that being said, it doesn't mean it's going to come tomorrow. It's not, this is not a Caleb Brown situation where 
it's you get on campus and he's probably going to commit even before he leaves or a Keon Gray situation where all he needed to do was see the city he was going to be living in and he was ready to go. It's in that umbrella, but it's not that easy for him because how he wants to handle things. He doesn't just want to jump at the first thing he sees. And so he's going to take his time and they all know that, which is why they're not pushing it so hard anymore. They've allowed him to have his space to think and have and mull it over with his family. But by the, I won't be shocked in the next four or five weeks here if he decides he's going to commit to Ohio State. Does he have any Ohio ties, as we've talked about before with some of these guys, or is he more like a Josh Proctor, a Tommy Togiai? Obviously, Iowa's not as remote as Idaho mm-hmm. or Oklahoma compared to Ohio. But does – you know what I'm asking? Like, does he have any of those ties here, or is he really just truly a more national recruit that they're having to pull in regardless of, of that connection? He is literally just Josh Proctor all over again, where it's we're in Iowa because this guy's really good and he's going to be the first guy from the state to ever come here. And actually, when I say he was literally Josh Proctor before the updated composite um, rankings came out, he was literally (laughs) Josh Proctor in terms of both of those guys were the number 71 player and the number two safety and within their recruiting classes. And I think at that point, uh, Josh Proctor is the second best player player in Oklahoma and Xavier is the number two, number one player in Iowa. But yeah, it's just, this is a really good player who has built a really solid relationship with Matt, Matt, uh, Matt, Matthew Barnes, Matthew Barnes. Well, Matt Barnes and Kerry Combs, and also a very strong relationship with a lot of these commits. Now you keep making that Proctor comparison. I think we talked about this Tuesday. Like, is he a, Free safety, no question, or would he have to adapt to it the way that Josh Proctor has been trying to with mixed results? I think that's the difference there is with the, that's where the, the comparisons stop. The, the idea that like the, what he is as a recruit and all that is what it is. But as a player, he's a true free safety. Well, I think with Josh Proctor, he was the other safety before they switched over to this, this new scheme. And he's having to adapt to the single high safety role. Xavier plays that for, for Southeast Polk and, I, and Iowa. That's, he plays free safety for them. He plays sideline to sideline, cover three, single high safety, just like they will in Ohio State. And he excels at it. Now, they've put him all over the place. They've played, played him out wide receiver at running back and quarterback because this is what happens when you're a top 100 guy and you're not at necessarily the most elite program from a national standpoint. But it's a quality football program over there. And, yeah, he plays that single high safety position. So it's not something that he's going to have to develop into once he gets on campus. We got a Hey Buckeye Talk question today that I thought would actually fit in well with this conversation. Steven has not seen this. I'm dropping it in his lap uh, completely out of nowhere, as, as I like to do. Uh, from the 419, Hey Buckeye Talk, does OSU only using one safety hurt their recruiting at that position? I would think using two safeties would be much easier to recruit several guys at the position. That makes sense. We've talked before about when you can only start one guy, whether it's a quarterback, whether it's a running back. I mean, that obviously affects how you stock that position, but then also who you can get in a sometimes crammed time period uh, when you know you've got somebody established maybe at that position. It's hard maybe sometimes to recruit in after them. Think of I think of that more sometimes like a it becomes analogous to basketball in some ways as far as positionally when guys are trying to get on the field. But how do you see Ohio State handling this? How have they tried to handle that? Because I think it changes – it doesn't necessarily end up changing the number of defensive backs that you go after. It just sort of changes the kind of defensive backs you go after. I would think. I don't, yeah, I don't really think it changes much of anything because unless you're, it's, 
how many true free safeties are there every year in recruiting, right? That's just not how this works, where it's like, oh, yeah, you're coming here to play a certain – every other – it's not like they're playing less defensive backs within the scheme. It's still, you know, four defensive backs on the field at all time. It's just instead of having two guys back there, one guy is up on the, on the line of scrimmage now, which is actually just – if you are a strong safety, a lot of times you're the same thing almost. And so it means that you have to get specific – with one guy every year. So you have to go get a Jansen Dunn who knows he's going to come in and play single high safety. You have to go get a Xavier Numpa who knows he's going to come in and play single high safety. But everywhere else, I don't necessarily think the classification matters as much if you're not talking about, you know, top 100 guys. So like Kalen Johnson and Jordan Hancock, clearly going to play cornerback, right? And they're classified as that. But Andre Turrentine, that guy is going to probably be a slot corner. So it's like it, it's so, so he's classified as a safety coming out of high school, but he's probably going to play slot corner. Guys like Kai Stokes might end up being a slot corner. You've got because you've got Jaheim Singletary, who is clearly the only guy within that 21 class right now who's going to no Jaheim Singletary and Jair Brown will both be outside corners. Everybody else, they might be single high safeties, they might be slot corners, they might be that second safety who's on the field in third down situations. You got, you might have a Jalen Johnson who ends up playing a bullet this, as he projects out to be. And so unless it is clear that you are going to be this role and you're told that, you come in here with the mindset as there's probably two or three positions you might end up as. So I don't I, think it changes their recruiting that much. I do think it's possible that there are players who are absolutely safeties who Ohio State strong safeties, if you want to use our, our, our usual parlance in football, who Ohio State maybe does not see being able to make that conversion to slot corner. Like they maybe think that they're from a speed standpoint or from an agility standpoint, whatever. Like they don't think mm-hmm. that that's the best fit for them. And that might be the kind of player that they lay off of. However, now that that was maybe more true in a, in a conventional three linebacker setup, now that you're talking about the bullet, now I think that, like as you're saying, I think that opens up a little bit. So does it, does it change? If the best safeties in the country, the best like free safeties in the country, I think are, are still attainable for Ohio State. I think what the only time it gets tricky is if there's a guy who, again, would be conventionally a strong safety who, for whatever reason, you think would struggle at that other that 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 slot corner, which again sometimes the terminology there gets really mixed up, even by Ohio State itself when they're talking about these guys. I guess I would maybe be the, the one stumbling block I would see. There was something else that you tweeted out or texted out about Nwangpa that I I wanted to bring up here, kind of as our closing thing. Because I always like to remind Ohio State fans about things like this. You mentioned that uh, – actually, I'm sorry. This I don't think it was – it wasn't in what you texted out today. It was in what you wrote about during the uh, the battles when you were writing about the recruiting battles over yeah. Nwangpa. And you texted – or you wrote that um, – we always have a thing in there about the, the, the in-state uh, threat, like those guys who are coming from out of state. What's the in-state threat? And that Iowa and Iowa State – you put the last time they had a top 100 commit. And for Iowa, it had been since 2014. Now, that guy was pretty good. Alan Lazard, who's now a receiver with the Packers. So that, that worked out pretty well for them. And then, But again, all the way back to 2014. So no top 100 commitments since 2014 for a pretty good program. You know, it was a pretty mm-hmm. good football program. And then Iowa State, which right now they're talking about pushing for like you know preseason. They're going to be a preseason top 10 team, like right. borderline like playoff contending team Iowa State has not had a top 100 commitment since 2010 
by what you wrote then. Um, and the highest of their four 2022 commitments so far, which I did check today, is 524. Like, I, I can't even fathom what it would be like on June 9th of any year and Ohio State had four commitments, and the highest of them was 524. But yet, when you go look at the preseason rankings, like Ohio State and Iowa State are not separated by much. And it's it's so weird how the expectations and then the reality start to really clash there around, like, when you get down to, like, the fifth, sixth, seventh team in the country where you start talking about two very different worlds as far as recruiting, the guy, the teams that are above that line and below it. And in the name of, I mean, our conversation about the college football playoff and the number of teams and where the cutoff should be, I think this is a good example of that because there is a cutoff. Whether it's it's not four, obviously, no one agrees that it's four, but if it's eight or twelve, there that's a more reasonable place because there is a much there is a large gap in between whoever the number eight team in the country is from a program standpoint and who the number nine program in the country is a standpoint, because you're right. Ohio state and Iowa might in Iowa state are going to be pretty close in some of these preseason polls that come out. Maybe the eight people, they're both top 10 teams. Ohio state might be fifth or fourth and Iowa state seventh or eighth, which isn't that far apart, but we all know if they got on the field together, that score is going to dictate just how far apart, you know, the number four team in the country and the number eight team in the country actually are. It'll be interesting to track how the playoff reform that is coming and we we there were reports earlier this week that it sounds like 12 team which was the one that doug championed when we did our uh breakdown of this a couple weeks ago on the pod it looks like they could be leaning towards a 12 team solution it will be interesting to see how that changes recruiting if it changes recruiting because i think it has definitely affected recruiting to concentrate the playoff around four teams I think those four teams have benefited a lot. The teams that are there the most. I mean, you can look mm-hmm. at, you know, it, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, Oklahoma, like those yeah. teams, to, you know, I think that has helped them a little bit. When you start to spread that out a little bit, does it open things up a little bit and, and help and do, do some of those teams that previously, like in Iowa, like in Iowa State, that previously struggled to even get a top 100 commit, does that become more attainable for them? Because it's not a – improbability it's not seen as like a huge upset if they ever make the playoffs it makes i think we'll start with quarterback it's like does that make things interesting because i mean there's more than one five-star quarterback in a year there's usually two or three or four of those guys and if every if the top teams in the country are going to be on these cycles that we keep mentioning could you know uh an iowa not iowa state could a penn state or somebody creep up in a year where there's only one of these top four or five programs in the country who are looking for a five-star quarterback creep up and also go get a five-star quarterback. And then the payoff is in two or three years when that kid's a junior and they've done enough stuff around him to build a pretty, a quality contender. And they can have an LSU type year where it's a a pop-up year, not necessarily from a statistical standpoint, but just from a standpoint of they're in a position to win a national title because they capitalize on getting this quarterback. So it starts there. And then you can start to talk about, does the playoff opening up for a team like Iowa State force Xavier to think about, hmm, maybe I want to stay home and whatnot. But it starts with quarterback. Yeah, I'm, and I'm not going to by any means suggest that it's going to create parity across college football. Yeah, I just right. think it'll be interesting if you pull 
a couple of kids that are now going to Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma, Georgia, uh, whatever, and, and get and filter them down. It may just be a couple per year. If you filter them down, how does that change the landscape? We will see. Steven will be back out at the Woody next week. Two more camps again next week, I assume? Yeah, two more camps again next week, and then two more the week after that, and then – I'm going to go away <laughs> for a while. <laughs> we're, we're getting a lot of good intel from there, and Stephen is sharing it with you. So, again, 614-350-3315. He's out there talking to guys. And like I said, Xavier and Wonk, but he's getting on the phone with those guys too. So we are trying to bring you as much recruiting intel as we can. Come to the site every morning, cleveland.com slash OSU. We have recruiting roundups throughout the week and trying to give you the intel straight from the players and their coaches as we go for Stephen Means, I'm Nathan Baird, and that was Buckeye Talk.